Welcome to Health Hackers episode 42. The series is back after a five-month hiatus while I moved to America. And also during that period, a global health pandemic kicked off. The spread of COVID-19 has led to the shutdown of major cities, and we are all watching as world leaders make hugely consequential decisions. Today, my special guest is psychologist Ron Riggio, professor of leadership and organizational psychology at Claremont McKenna College in California. Ron has authored more than 100 books, chapters, and articles on leadership and organizational and social psychology. For the next 30 minutes or so, we will be getting Ron's expert insights on the best ways to lead during a major crisis, plus other leadership questions, including are leaders born or made? And how do you recover after making a bad decision? Thanks for being here, Ron. Well, thank you for having me. So aside from global leaders right now, um, there are key decisions being made by people at every level, including those in their own homes, leading how their family reacts to the current circumstances. What makes a great leader and what is the best way to lead during a crisis? Yeah, well, let's let's talk about about good leadership first, and and I think you're right. When you when we talk about leadership, I mean the the default is to think of leaders at the top. So we think about the the national leaders. But I think what we're seeing in this in this pandemic crisis is leadership occurring at all different sorts of levels. Um, you know, not just at the top, the state level, at the local level, and then. People have to make their own decisions about their family too, and that involves leadership, leading in in the family too. Um, so, what are the the qualities of good leaders? Well, good leaders take charge, right? And so, in some instances, people who may not have been seen as leaders suddenly become leaders. So, think about uh, in the infectious disease expert that's becoming very famous, Dr. Fauci. And I don't think we would think of him as a leader, but in this circumstance, he has stepped up into a leadership role. So one thing is that leaders take charge, right? Second thing is that leaders have to communicate and communication is critical. So leaders become that focal point, particularly in a crisis and how they're able to communicate. And one of the things that we talk about is authentic communication, right? No hidden agendas, uh, no saying one thing when you mean another another thing. Um, try to be as clear a, as you possibly can. Um, so those are those are some of the characteristics of of really effective leaders. If a leader doesn't have the answers, so they want to lead, but for example, in the the current situation, we don't know with any real degree of certainty what the COVID-19 effects will look like in two weeks time or a month's time. So if the leaders don't necessarily have all the answers, how, how do you suggest they move forward or, or respond to their, their audience? So I think that's where leaders have to rely on their, um, their followers, their experts, right? So leaders, and particularly world leaders, leaders of nations, they have at their fingertips lots and lots of experts. And what you need to do is call those experts in and sort of empower them because of their area of expertise to, um, to communicate themselves authentically, right? So, um, so I think when a leader, if you want to see good examples of leaders who do well in crisis situations, they're able to sort of step back and say, okay, for that question, 
let's hear from the medical expert. For that question, let's hear from the epidemiologist or you know whoever those experts are. And the, the leader then becomes sort of the kind of the, the coordinator of all of these very important voices. When you're looking at um, some of the figures that we're seeing on TV every day right now, are there any standout leaders for you, people who you think are, are doing a particularly effective job right now? Well, we, we talked about Dr. Fauci, and I think given his level of expertise, um, you know, he, he's effective, effective at, at communicating his message. Um, I, I, I've been impressed with some of the governors that I've seen who have sort of stepped up and said, you know, we're going to implement things even though there's no national policy or national guidelines, we're going to take charge. And I'm even seeing that at the local level. So here in my own city, um, local leaders said we're going to shut down the parks because we don't want kids uh, playing on, you know, on the uh, equipment and things like that. And so they did that long before I was hearing that from anywhere else. So I think people, um, you know, there's, there's leadership at all kinds of levels going on right now. How important is it for a leader to, to just make a decision? So be decisive. Well, I think that, that being decisive is important, but I think that you need to have informed decisions. And so what's critically important is that the leader, um, you know, gather as much information, consult broadly, and um, decide on a course of action based on that expertise, not based on their own hunches or, you know, that, that idea of sort of flying by the seat of your pants, you know, going with your intuition, going with your hunches, that doesn't work. Things should be, decisions should be informed, they should be data-based, they should involve you know, the leading experts in the field. And if that decision or any decision they make turned out to be the wrong one, um, how does a leader come back from that with their reputation intact? Well, I think you have to, you have to own up to it. You have to analyze your, um, you know, the wrongdoings and you know, learn from, leaders learn from their mistakes, right? They don't lean from, learn from their successes. When we um, become better in a leadership role is when we've failed or we've had a, a, a mishap and we analyze the situation and said, well, why did that happen? And how can I make sure that that doesn't happen again? We rarely think about our successes and then go analyze our successes and say, well, how can we make sure that we continue to succeed? So it really is that learning process. But I think what a leader has to do is sort of own up to it. You know, the Harry Truman had a, had a sign, the buck stops here on his desk, President Harry Truman, and basically said, look, I'm responsible. I'm the president. There's nobody above me. And if I can't take responsibility for decisions, good or bad, then nobody can. And do people respond well to that? Because I imagine as a leader, you want to retain the confidence that you're your people, your public, your audience have in you. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I, I, clearly leaders have to be leader-like. They have to, you know, uh, project an air of confidence and all that. But, but when there, there are mistakes, I mean, I think the leader needs to say, look, we made a mistake. We're, um, we're going to analyze, we're analyzing the situation. We're going to change course. And this is why we're changing course. And I, I, I don't think covering up makes any sense. You know, I mean, we could go back. Uh, so you, uh, last time a president was impeached, historically, not last month, but 
uh, President Bill Clinton. And I always thought that Bill Clinton, his, was, his issue was around a sexual transgression. And I think if he would have just owned up to it and said, um, look, you know, I made a mistake, but this is really my personal sort of life and it's really more to do with my wife and me and, and this other person, I think he would have, people would have forgiven him. But instead, he, he covered up. And I think covering up never helps because, and particularly in this day and age where there's 24-7 media coverage and video coverage, people are going to find out the truth. So leaders have an obligation to be honest and straightforward. So apart from avoiding any kind of covering up, are there any other key hallmarks of ineffective leadership? Well, yeah, ineffective leaders. I mean, I think that, so the way we think about ineffective leaders, I think we have to really think about effective leaders and, and what do effective leaders do? Well, effective leaders try to do the right thing. They try to make the right decisions. And when I say the right thing, I'm talking about for the good of everyone involved. So leaders are leading a group, right? A, a, a group, a, a nation, an organization. Um, and they need to think what's in the best interests of everyone and balance those interests. So that, you know, that's the first thing. Um, leaders need to be genuinely concerned with the people they're leading. They need to have some insight into what those people want, what those, uh, what those people's needs are, and um, align their sort of leadership agenda with what's going to be best for the followers. And the other thing that I think the really best leaders do is they draw on their followers. They draw on the people that they're leading for expertise. They consult with them, um, you know, and, and they work together. It's a shared endeavor. I mean, leaders don't lead alone. Leaders lead with followers. Together, leaders and followers create leadership. And do you think that in life, it's better to be a leader or can being a follower, like you just said, many followers, is it possible to be as successful and content with being a follower? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I think so. There's lots of people who don't want the, the you know, to be out in front. They don't want to be the leaders, but they, uh, but they're sort of leading from that followership role. So I think the very best followers, and this is one of the things that we're, we're very passionate about uh, leadership scholars today. I think we're very passionate about this idea that we've sort of ignored the followers. One of the things we've done is we sort of diminished the follower role, right? Everybody wants to be a leader. Nobody wants to be a follower. Being a follower is seen as something kind of negative, less than. And that's not true because it's really the followers who are doing the bulk of getting things done. And, um, you know, we can look at government, for example. We don't see all those followers, all those people who are making the, the machinery of government work. And they're, they're doing it. Things are getting done in the, in the government, um, regardless of whether the leaders are present or even aware of it. So um, what, one of the things that I want to really emphasize is that it's perfectly fine to be a, an exemplary follower. Being an exemplary follower means you... Um, you take charge of the things that you are supposed to take charge of. You, um, you go with your leader when your leader's on the right path. But if your leader's on the wrong path, it's your obligation as the follower to say, hey, wait a minute, maybe we're going down the wrong 
path. And, um, and so I have a friend, Ira Chaliff, and he wrote a book called The Courageous Follower. And the subtitle is um, Standing Up For and Standing Up To Your Leaders. Standing Up For and To Your Leaders. And basically that message is when your leader's on the right path, help. Help out. You know, share the load. Um, get things done. Get the goals achieved. But when the leader's on the wrong path, then you need to call on that internal courage, stand up to your leader and say, look, we're about to make a mistake. We're about to, uh, to have a problem here. Do you think leaders are born or made? So I, I again, I'm, a, I'm a, basically a researcher. So we know the answer to that question. Um, there's been scholarship on this. There's been research on this. And um, so one of the things that we do know is that leaders are primarily made, um, but there are inborn characteristics and qualities that give certain individuals an advantage when it comes to leadership. And we even actually can estimate the proportion of that. We, we estimate it's about two-thirds made and about one-third born. And um, how do we do that as psychologists? Well, we study twins. We study twins because um, identical twins share uh, 100% of their genetic material. And so that helps us. And then we look at twins who are um, fraternal twins. They have 50% genetic material. So we're able to actually estimate how much of any quality that we can investigate is born and how much is made and get a kind of an estimate. And, and do you think that men or women make more effective leaders or are they just very different? Okay. There, uh, generally, there's very few differences. So let's start off with that. Leaders look, you know, effective leaders look the same. Very great leaders look the same regardless of whether they're male or female. They engage in the same kinds of behaviors. But let's talk about sort of this, the sex differences. So one of the things that we do know is that we're moving today into more relationship-oriented leadership roles, and that the leaders who are better at developing relationships, not just, just relationships, but they have those relationship skills. They're also, of course, the other side is getting things done, the task-oriented kinds of skills. But more and more, the relationship skills are becoming important. And women as a group tend to have better relationship skills than men. So that gives them an advantage. Another line of research, and one of the things that we talk about when we talk about uh, good leadership, is ethics. Is leaders being able to look at a situation and say, hey, there's a potential ethical problem here. Um, and we know that women are actually better than men at sort of seeing those ethical problems and they're more responsive to them. So I think for those two reasons, women tend to have a little bit more better relationship skills and women tend to be more sensitive to ethical issues. I think that women actually have an advantage. Now that flies in the face of the actual statistics, right? Because we know that most top level leaders in government, in industry and in, you know, CEOs, um, most of them are men. Uh, but I think the future really says that the, those who have the highest leadership potential tend, tend to be women. There's lots of evidence that in organizations where you have a higher percentage of women in leadership positions, they tend to perform better. I, that, that's really interesting. And I, I wonder, it kind of brings me on to my next question. 
over whether or not it's true that being nice, so maybe being good at relationships and forming friendships, is it true that being nice makes you a bad leader? Because you would assume you want people to really respect you and you shouldn't be too nice. Yeah. So if we look at that, I mean, sort of being, being nice. I mean, one of the ways we look at that is we talk and talk about the personality characteristic of agreeableness, right? Do people sort of get along? And there is some evidence that a little bit of agreeableness is important for leadership, that it does predict leadership in, in many instances. But one of the things about leadership is it's very complex, right? We have to take into account not just the leader, but we have to look at, you know, what are the followers? What do the followers need? Um, and then we have to look at the context. We have to look at the context and the situation. So, for example, a crisis situation is a very, very different context than sort of day-to-day leadership in an organization, right? And so the context plays a part. So if it's crisis, we want decisiveness in a leader, right? If it's not a crisis situation, it's, if it's just a sort of status quo situation, we may not want our leaders to be so you know, quickly making decisions and being decisive. They now have time to make those decisions. So we have to take all of those things into account. So where does niceness pay off, I guess, is, is the real question. Um, so being nice or being agreeable pays off when it comes to developing those ties with, mm-hmm. with followers, when it comes to being able to reach out and bring people in. So then the niceness, the agreeableness, uh, plays an important role. But if the context and the situation um, doesn't call for that, doesn't call for necessarily going along, but being much more um, uh, much more authoritative in your leadership role, then, um, then uh, the niceness isn't going to help you. So imagine this, in sort of a day-to-day organization, agreeableness, niceness might help you develop relationships or whatever. But let's say you're in the military. Being nice doesn't help you on the battlefield, right? Or even in a police department. And actually, I have a graduate student who looked at that, and he said, you know, agreeableness predicts uh, effective leaders in industry and in uh, nonprofit organizations but agreeableness doesn't predict um, uh, success as a police uh, a captain or you know a, a leadership in the police force. Well, it's because their context is different. And in fact, their followers aren't looking for nice people. They're looking for people who are competent and can take charge. On the niceness, um, what would your advice be to somebody who gets a promotion and suddenly they find themselves being the boss of their colleagues and some of those colleagues they consider to be friends. So they're in an awkward situation now. How, how do they still get respect, but maintain a nice atmosphere? Yeah. So that's a, that's a sort of a classic situation, right? That, that, that conflict that you have between the two roles that you have to play. So you had this former role of being a friend, a colleague to this person, and now your new role is a boss, and that ha- there's different expectations associated with that leadership role. And so I think, again, it's about authentic communication. It's about saying, look, you know, the relationships have changed. I'm now your supervisor. Um, I can't play favorites. And this is why. And if you lay all of those things out there, and if you have that sort of open, honest communication, I think people will understand why you have to draw a line sometimes 
and you have to, and it's part of your, the nature of the role that you're playing, you know? So I think if you, if you sort of understand that, it takes it away from the personal element and says, look, this is the requirement of my job. And it's honesty again. I think that that's really the key. I mean, honesty is generally the best policy. Now I'm not saying a hundred percent, you know, be brutally honest, you know, uh, there was an old uh, movie, Liar, Liar, about someone who instantly couldn't tell the, uh, couldn't lie, right? Had to tell the truth. Now, obviously, you're not going to be brutally honest like that. You do, there are, And there are things that leaders have to keep uh, secret, keep it, you know, for, for strategic reasons or, or other kinds of things. But for the most part, and that's why we sort of like to use the term authentic, right? Is, is you know, sort of be true to, um, you know, be true to your role, be true to the group that you're leading and, um, you know, and just make sure that, that you're not, you don't have hidden agendas. You don't, you know, you don't, you don't have ulterior motives. Going forwards in this COVID-19 crisis, um, what do you hope leaders will learn from this unprecedented time in modern- yeah. So, so I, I think, and I, and I wrote a little bit about this too. I mean, I think, that a, a few things we need to learn. One thing is we need to be prepared, right? And there's really sort of no excuse for not being prepared. And I'm going to give, give an example. I was looking for something that was a more cooperative game for my students to play because most games are competitive. And what we want to do is fo- we wanted to foster cooperation. So I, I, I explored this game. And this is a very popular game, and it's actually called Pandemic. And, um, and for gamers, people who like to play games, this is a really, this is like the monopoly of cooperative games, right? It's very well known. So we, you could have played this game and gotten some experience about, about how to deal with a pandemic, okay? So now the government we know has plans for how to deal with a pandemic, the, the US government, and they didn't deal with it. I happened to look this up pandemic and just googled it and the first site i came to was uh cdc center for the cdc center for disease control and they have a website for just the general public that says what would happen if there were a viral pandemic and how could you deal with it so clearly we should have been prepared for this right my own college how did we prepare for this and i'm actually think that they did a really good job of preparation is we had, we're prepared here, we're in Southern California, we're prepared for a disaster, but it wasn't a, a epidemic, a, a viral epidemic. The one we're preparing for is an earthquake. And an earthquake would ruin our facilities and how would we have to teach? Well, we'd have to teach remotely through Zoom, through, through a platform like this. And so we had that plan. When the pandemic came into being, that team that we have that dealt with crisis leadership simply twisted it around and said, okay, the pandemic is going to present these kinds of challenges. And so we were ahead of the game because we prepared. So, so preparation is the number one for, for so I'll, I'll get off that little soapbox. But the other thing that I think is really important, and these are the lessons that I think we should learn from this, is science matters, right? We're seeing that the scientists are the best people for understanding what's going on in, in, in the situation. And they're the, the voices that we should be listening to. And that's a, a lesson to our leaders. 
is that science matters. They should fund science. They should promote science, and you know that's important. Another important lesson that I think that can, that is related to what we know about leadership is authoritarian leadership, where the the decision making power is held in the leader, and we look to that person to make the decisions by himself or herself. That doesn't tend to work. That decision-making should be collaborative. It should be consulting with experts and all those kinds of things. So that's, that's second. Um, we also, I think, need to learn some lessons that we're starting to see. We saw the run on the supermarkets, the famous lack of toilet paper, which is kind of a little bit absurd if you think about it, if you step back and think about it. But um, what does that tell us? Well, human beings are basically self-interested, self-focused and somewhat greedy. And we're starting to see the greed come to the surface. I heard today that, um, that there was concern about producing ventilators because General Motors was gonna charge too much for them. So we need to understand that we, um, we gotta fight against the, the worst parts of our human nature and uh, don't let that come into play. So we have to fight against that. We have to engage people generally. And so leadership should not be, again, uh, concentrated in the top. That's important that we hear from our top-level leaders. But lower-level leaders at the state, at the county, at the local level should be empowered to take action and should have uh, a hand in the, in the process of dealing with a crisis, dealing with an epidemic. So I think those are some of the, some of the really important lessons. I think the a model to think about leadership, and particularly in a crisis situation, is being a parent, right? Oh, because yeah. if you think about what a parent is concerned about right now, right? So you're more concerned about your kids than you are about yourself, right? And a leader should be like that. A leader should be more concerned about the followers than they are about their own agenda, right? I mean, that, that it really should be about them because these are the people you've been entrusted with, you know? And, um, and I think this is really changing my whole, this, this, um, the epidemic, I think, is a huge challenge. And it's making me think that we're not, how we respond to this challenge is going to provide lessons for how we respond to these other slower moving challenges, like global warming, right? Like the, uh, the uh, increasing divide between the haves and have-nots in society, particularly here in the U.S. And you know, if we think about that, I mean, can you imagine that? As if if, if we we use the analogy of a parent, a parent would never take food for themselves, take resources from themselves, and leave the kids. To, you know, not a good parent, right? Leave the kids to starve or, or, or do with less, right? And, um, you know, and a, a leader wouldn't tell, would be straight with, a, with a, I mean, a parent would be straight with a child and a leader should be straight with us, right? And say, hey, you know, yes, this is a difficult situation. This is a horrible situation. But, um, 
you know, we'll overcome. We will overcome. It won't last forever, that kind of thing. So I'm like, I learn too, right? I have to learn every day, right? <laughs> but my daughter, who's 19, was really freaked out about all this stuff. She's in Washington State where it's, you know, and she said, you know, I don't know how to talk about it. And this is kind of what I said as a parent. And now I look at it, I go, wow, that's what a leader should. I said, I think oh, things like this are always tough. We take normal for granted. Then a war or a disaster or an epidemic comes and changes everything. And, and I said, no one can be really prepared for the magnitude of change that causes. And with that, you're going to get horrible feelings and emotions that come with it. And so, you know, what I was trying to do was call my own daughter, but we should hear that message from our leaders, right? So, so one of the things I think is that, um, that people who study leadership is, you know, we get so stuck in sort of studying leadership that we say, okay, well, this is how good leadership works and this is how uh, ineffective leadership works and here are the qualities and characteristics. And we don't think enough about um, solving social problems. And, how, you know, so kind of this idea of leadership for what? So we, 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 we're really good at knowing what makes a leader effective and studying that. But how can we take that effectiveness, that leader effectiveness, and bring it to bear on social problems and bring it to bear on some of the impending disasters that we have as a human race. And so, you know, so one of the things that I'm concerned with is the knowledge that we have as leadership scholars, experts on leadership, doesn't get to the leaders to help them improve their leadership, to help them solve global problems. And so the, I don't think they do enough consultation with the people who actually understand the dynamics of leadership. And what can you do about that? Well, hopefully, you know, I look for little signs of this. So one of the things um, that I thought was really interesting was I saw a, a piece that didn't get much attention, but it was when Obama won his second election. And he actually reached out to psychologists who were experts in persuasion. And some of them I know, I were friends of mine, and brought them on board and said, how do we become more persuasive? And I thought, well, that makes perfect sense, right? These guys study persuasion. Some of them, some of these experts are hired by industry to try to sell you products, to, to come up with strategies that will be effective in selling you products. Well, why wouldn't a president use that same knowledge if a company uses it to sell their product? Why wouldn't a president use it to sell his agenda, to further his, you know, his, uh, uh, his platform, right? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, it's been great talking to you. Yeah, Thank yeah. you so much. Um, tell us where people can find out more about you and your Twitter handle. Yeah, my, so my Twitter handle is Ron Riggio. Um, and, uh, psychology today, I have a blog on psychology today called cutting edge leadership. So psychologytoday.com, one word, psychologytoday.com. Awesome. Thank you for speaking to us and thank you for watching health hackers, viewers, and listeners. If you like this episode, please subscribe on YouTube or Spotify, Apple podcasts. See you next time. Bye-bye.